My name's Dr. Gary Crotez, and I'm a coach and author of The Idea Mindset, a book about how to figure out what you want and how to get it. The unlock moment is that flash of remarkable clarity when you suddenly know the right path ahead. When I'm in conversation with my coaching clients, these are the breakthroughs that are so profound that they remember vividly where they were, who they were with, what they were thinking when their unlock moment happened. In this podcast, I'll be meeting and learning about people who have accomplished great things or brought about significant change in their life, and you'll be meeting them with me. We'll be finding out what inspired them, how they got through the hard times, and what they learned along the way that they can share with you. Thank you for joining me on this podcast to hear all about another Unlocked Moment. Hello, dear listener, and welcome to another episode of the Unlock Moment podcast. Today, we're talking with someone whose professional life was turned upside down in the pandemic. We'll be finding out how that worked out and what they learned about themselves. Some days, you just know you're underdressed for the occasion, and today is just one of those days. My guest on the Unlock Moment is DJ, producer, and celebrity fashion stylist, Alexis Knox. I suggest you head straight to her Instagram, and you'll see exactly what I mean. For over a decade, Alexis has worked alongside the biggest names in popular music as an in-demand international fashion stylist, working with music's most edgy personalities, including Miley Cyrus, MIA, Charlie XCX, Little Mix, Bruno Mars, Craig David, Rita Ora, Jessie J, Grimes, and more. After establishing herself as the go-to for cutting-edge fashion, Alexis is now set to establish herself as an equally in-demand DJ. Her love for all things fashion and music have seen Alexis travel the world from Tokyo to Rome on a colourful and exuberant DJ schedule veering from Fashion Week events and exclusive parties to underground raves. She has now signed a multi-single record deal with dance music label Perfect Havoc and is enjoying releasing high-energy house music. I'm looking forward to hearing all about Alexis's adventures in fashion, music, and life. Let's get into it. Alexis, it is my great pleasure to welcome you to the Unlock Moment. Hello, hello. It's my great pleasure to be here. Thank you so much for joining. And, and, and you're dining in from a porter cabin, you tell me. I am in a very glamorous location. And yes, it's a porter cabin. Um, I was going to record this from home. But our fabulous neighbours are doing a year-long renovation, it seems. And today they're repainting all their woodwork. So there's lots of like, vrooms, and I thought, well, that's no good, is it? So I stuck my head out the window. I was like, oi, lads, what are this going to be happening? I want? <laughs> and they're like, uh, yeah, sorry. <laughs> so I thought, right, I know. I'm going to come to the boyfriend's office. And he is a builder. So his office is a porter cabin. But I have to say, it's very nice. I'm very impressed. There's a kitchen and a loo, and it's all very clean. He's a good boy. It, so it suits your style. I, I love it. So, so start out with telling us a little bit about what you were like growing up and where this incredible fashion and music persona came from. I. It's so funny when people use the word persona because when there's no, like, switch it on, switch it off, I'm working or I'm not, you know, and, like, my name, Alexis Knox, people always say to me, oh, is that a stage name? And I'm like, uh, no, my mum just, well, no, it's my name. Yeah, it's just like a name, you know? And so I don't know, because I've always had a bit of a razzmatazz name from day one, it embodied this this persona that was just has become who I am. But um, I've always been quite eccentric and had a natural flair for performance and really understood clothes and style and how I wanted to present myself from day one from day one so um yeah growing up in Oxfordshire and uh just wanting to entertain and try and look fabulous while I was doing it really so what, what kind of what kind of child were you when when you were at school and growing up what kind of things did you do I was very loud proud happy always trying to get involved singing, dancing, performing. But I was also very political. I really had a power to the students, power to the kids kind of mentality. And I think I've got a mother who herself is a very powerful, strong woman. And she's always raised me to speak up if I wasn't comfortable with something, if there was something a teacher or another adult was doing 
you know, it was totally okay for me to voice it and most importantly, explain why first and foremost. So it was never really in a bratty, I don't want to do this. I always had to be eloquent. Um, so yeah, so that kind of made me quite political and very um, involved at school. So when I left at 16 and I moved to um, Oxford College of Further Education, Within a month, I was running for president of the student union and um, I got that. And then my first job I did was I put on a big rave and then I created a cheerleading team so I could become head cheerleader and perform and yeah, and just walk around in my fabulous outfit. So yeah, it's all. (laughs) And then I graduated and then moved to London and yeah, pretty much it's been the same. And what were your, what were your music influences when you were growing up? Oh, everything. I was really lucky. My mum played a lot of music in the house. So it was very, very diverse from dance music, like Bob Marley, Michael Jackson, a lot of big icons, very upbeat, very happy sounds. So that was definitely, it was definitely very upbeat and happy. And I think that has been part and parcel of just the way I roll. You know, it's great because I've never been asked these questions. So when you, you know, when you're talking and you're like realizing some things you answer in autopilot and then other times you're like, oh my gosh, what was my soundtrack? What does that mean? How does that translate? And yeah, no, it was always upbeat, happy, um, lively and very, um, a lot of icons, I would say like Madonna and yeah, Michael Jackson, very, very pop, but very cool at the same time. I, I was, I was reflecting on this yesterday actually, because, um, I, I was, I couldn't sleep and I was watching, you know, there's late night, um, things where they, they play like, you know, the, the music album of one of the years in the eighties or something like that. Yes. And you work out which one was your year. And yes. for me, it was like 1988 and they're playing like now, whichever it was, you know, now 12 or something in 1988. And I was like, I know every single one of these songs. And I listened to it over and over again. I'm not sure I was doing that in 1986. I'm not sure I was doing it in 1990. But there was just this window of time where, where you know, you have these sort of deep influences around around music. And for you, was it music and fashion, one or the other, when when you're growing up? The word fashion, I actually don't really resonate for me. It's always everything has about being expression. So I think it just was natural. I landed in a world of style and music and working with pop icons who were very expressionate, a bit like a Bruno Mars or a Miley Cyrus, people who really communicated through the aesthetic. Um, so I was never really one for trends. I have to shout out my friend Alexia, who was my junior school best friend. And she, at the age of eight, she was the person who introduced me to the concept of fashion. I didn't really know about trends. I just knew how I wanted to look, how I didn't want to look um, and what that meant. So to, um, to to perceive that something might be out of fashion or out of trend was like so mind blowing, which added a whole new level to it, which was very exciting because it meant then, I guess my eye was um, then on the lookout for the newest thing or the emerging thing. And I always like to be, or well, just by nature, always sort of ahead of something or, yeah, I'm just very excited and excitable. So if I catch a sniff of something, be it, you know, a new genre of music or a fashion trend, I'm like, yes, let's consume it fully. So fashion for me and trends, no, it's about style and it's about expressing yourself 100%. And could you describe your personal sense of style? Does that have a sort of way of describing it? Whenever I work with a client, I always say, we go for a coffee and we chat and we just have a normal chat like you were getting to a new neighbor. And I'm really just sizing them up. I'm finding out like who they are. And then you find out what they want to communicate to other people, you know, because all of us are very multidimensional and we have loads of sides to us. So for example, I'm sat in a Porter cabin right now and I'm a girlfriend and I live in Surrey and I'm very close to my family and I have a very homely energy to me but that's not the part of me that I want to communicate you know so even though I'm in like girlfriend Surrey mode I'm sat here in a a Diamante tracksuit and I've got a cap saying baby girl on it <laughs> so it's really what you're choosing to communicate and express so for me it's usually like colorful or flashy or fun but also very practical and there's a lot of trainers or sportswear but it always is 
looks like I've made an effort, but it's actually very comfortable. So it's yeah, comfortable and practical, but kind of zhuzhy. <laughs> I love that. And, and there's something about a message you're communicating that I think is really powerful, that you're thinking about not just, I like what this looks like, but it's there for a reason, you know, and, and when you're working with people, it's there for a reason to do, to do something for them. 100% you know, it's in our human nature to look ahead and assess and judge immediately. You know, it's there to protect yourself. You know, you, if you see someone coming, you want to know if they're a threat or a friend, you know. And what we don't realize is that we are reading so many subliminal messages in the things that we're choosing to present, be it our hair, our choice of trainers. They all mean something, different things to different people. So for example, I've I've had clients, they, they've come to meet me and they, um, they've decided to walk there. So top half of them, they've got a nice sort of, they've made an effort, nice shirt and or nice smart t-shirt and jeans. And, and then they've got what they call, oh, these are just my running trainers. So of course, these are what I just put on to walk to see you. And they're muddy and they're gross. And I'm thinking, that's a massive, massive disconnect to me. Like you, you're presentable up top and then down below, it's like, what's going on here? You look like you've been doing the gardening. And, but to them, it's like, oh no, but they're just my trainers. But what you have to realize that what something might mean to you, you might not be communicating that same thing outward. So that's why a, a professional like me is helpful to come along and go, you might not realize, but by choosing to do this or wear this, this is what you're saying to someone who hasn't had the benefit of knowing your backstory. And how did you go from a 16-year-old, you know, joining college in, in Oxford and, and, and cheerleading <laughs> to working with the kind of people that, that, that you've worked with over the years? What, what was the beginning of that transition? Where did that all start? So I've been so blessed that I've, I've got amazing friends um, and family and I chose to move to London. And so I put the feelers out and I said, look, I don't know what I want to do. I want to do something cool and exciting. I know I feel I've got a lot to give. Does anybody know anyone who might present me with an opportunity to do some work experience, just anything, anyone? And my friend Lucy introduced me to her sister-in-law's friend who was working for a magazine. That was one of my first work experiences. It doesn't exist anymore. Um, it was a magazine called More, but it was part of a big publishing group called EMAP. So I was going to this big, exciting building full of magazines and it was a bit, you know, Devil Wears Prada, to be honest. And it was very exciting. And um, I had randomly come to London on a night out, met a boy, gone back for a house party, befriended his friends, and then moved in with all his friends uh, a month later. So I was living in East London with a flat full of skater boys. It was like me and seven skater boys. And I was like, show me where to go. Let's go out. And they took me out and it was amazing, but it wasn't really the right scene for me. And an old uni friend reached out and said, look, I'm in London too. And they've just come out and they said, look, there's this gay night. I really want to go. Would you come with me? I've got no one to go with. And I was like, oh, a gay night. I'd never, in Oxford, I, had, I didn't have one gay friend, a crying shame. And so when they offered to go to a gay club, I was like, yes, off we go. That night changed my life. That night I met, oh my gosh, so many of my now best friends who 16 years later I'm still so in contact with and that was it I found my community that LGBTQ plus community was where I was at and back then the term queer and 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 it didn't exist so it was like no one really knew what to call this world of like gay fashion showbiz colorful it was just magical it was like 2007 and Social media was just bubbling. So everyone was very still in the moment in real life. We all relied on a, you know, party photographer to take our picture. And then we'd go to the website and we'd see it, you know, the next day and we'd put it on our MySpaces. And it was magical and beautiful. So I was in this whirlwind of a really exciting lifestyle. I was going out, getting work experiences, um, meeting new people, networking. And I really went in it wasn't like a couple of days a week it was like I lived this life seven days a week 24 7 so it was inevitable that it, it was just going to happen and and I was dressing up and going out and people were presuming I was a stylist so I thought oh okay this kind of media fashion but I love parties and yeah it, it, and that's why it's like people say oh you've got a lot of you know different jobs and I'm like well not really the synergy between them all completely makes sense when you when you get my lifestyle it's just fun fashion party expression music really 
And did you ever have a moment where you had sort of imposter syndrome that maybe I can't do this? Or did you feel confident that, you know, you could embody that thing that they thought you were? I'm one of those that literally since the day they were born is like, I'm a star. <laughs> I've always been like, I'm a star. And the, I, I, this is really, I should probably, this is oversharing and sorry, mum. But the first time I was drunk, I was a bit like, more. And my friends were like um, shaking me and being like, come on, trying to get me to talk. And they were like, tell me your name. And um, I wasn't a fan of Queen or anything. I didn't even know who this person was. But in my, in my delusional state, I went, I'm Freddie Mercury. <laughs> These girls are like, these school girls are like, who is Freddie Mercury? They're like, why are you Freddie Mercury? And I was like, because I'm a star. So <laughs> I think, you know, imposter syndrome, kind of no, but yes, because I'm human. And, and people say to me, oh my God, are you, are you nervous? Are you excited? I'm like, I don't get nervous, but I don't get excited. I get apprehensive. I'm confident in the fact that I know I'm prepared. I can take whatever can come my way, but I'm very ready for things to be going wrong. You know, growing up, um, amazing family, but definitely some very challenging family times. And I think when you have that growing up, you learn to be light on your feet. You learn to read people. You learn to um, recognize social situations you're in and it and it does bless you even though it's you know not fun at the time the skill set it gives you is that you, when you go into an environment you don't realize how much you're assessing it or reading it and maybe that's why my approach to clothes is the same I don't just see a jumper I see a, I see oh what does that mean or what could that lead to probably because of situations I've been in growing up you know and that, that's the thing it's People say, oh, is it, aren't people bitchy in fashion? And it's like, oh, isn't music intimidating? I'm like, well, no, people in life are. And it it all it all really just blurs into one. So I think that's my, been my general experience, that imposter syndrome, no, because I, I take on these challenges just like I would being scared, going on a plane alone for the first time, for example. Behind the camera or in front of the camera? Some people... They love being behind the camera and a bit petrified of being in front of it. Some people love being in front of it and have no interest in being behind it. But actually, in some of the roles that you've played, some of the things you've done, you're, you're, you're both. You know, you're supporting somebody as their stylist, but you're also yourself on the red carpet. You're, you know, you're presenting yourself as, a, you know, as an image as well. So how, how do you feel about behind or in front of the camera? I'm 100% 50-50. I always have been and I, I think I always will be. Um, I'm clearly a strong-minded person who likes to communicate and knows what she wants and knows how she sees it. I like, I bumped into a makeup artist I hadn't worked with for about 10 years. And she was like, I loved working with you. We always created beautiful imagery, but she said, I would just turn up in the day and I'd expect to be told this is what we're doing today. And it would be, it'd be stunning and amazing, but you were large and in charge, you know? So, um, even when I'm in cam or in front of camera, obviously I'm respectful to those who are in positions of authority and you know, you never ever stop learning. You never know anything. There's never any end goal. It's it's a journey. So I love it when I am in front of the camera to shut up and listen and learn. Um and then and then put my two pennies in when I can. <laughs> I love it. So you know, the pandemic kicked off in in early 2020. So when you think back to that year before the pandemic really, you know, started off, what are the things that you, that, that you remember as the big highlights of that sort of year, 18 months leading into the pandemic? What what are the kind of things that you were, you were doing? What did your life look like before that all kicked off? My life was wild. So I was living in this insane eight-story tower flat that used to be Harry Styles' flat. Um, I had like a dressing room and a cinema room and a room. And it was like, it was like a princess palace. And I was DJing and flying here, there, everywhere. I'd be like in Tokyo or Milan or Amsterdam. And, you know, Craig David was like my full-time um, styling client. So I was wherever he needed me to be. Um, 
I had like assistants coming in and out every day. I worked from home at that point. Um, and it was fun. It was exciting. I was going out to events and I mean, don't get me wrong, it was exhausting, but because it was so fun, um, you're in the adrenaline of it, you know, but I was definitely in a place where I had been in this world at that pace for about 10, 12 years. And I had definitely learned that crazy high adrenaline lifestyle I knew wasn't long term because I'd already experienced the consequences. I was creative director and editor of a music magazine called Notion and we'd relaunched it. It was going well. We'd launched it digitally as well as in print. We had outsold Vogue digitally one month. We had beaten NME. We were number one in iTunes downloads. It was going so well. Flying here, there, everywhere. Um, working with Miley Cyrus. And it's hard work. As much as I'm making it sound glamorous and fabulous, working as a fashion stylist is very physical. You know, you can imagine just one day shopping and you've got your bags and you're knackered, all that thinking and walking. It's like that times 10. And I was like, one of these people was like, oh, my neck, my back, my shoulders, everything's aching. I'll go for a massage. Oh, I'll put some heat packs on. Never took it seriously. And then one day I woke up and I couldn't move my arms. I was like a Dalek. My little arms could only move from the elbow. So I was like a T-Rex or a Dalek. Literally, my arms could only come out of the front of me. Um, did I even take that seriously? I was like, you know what? I need to do a course of yoga. That's what I need. Carry on. And my mom was like, you're mental. We're going to a consultant now. And he said to me, Alexis, I've never met anyone over the age of 50 with what you have. And what you have, usually it's professional athletes at the end of their career. You have worn your shoulders out from work, from all the lifting, from all the physicality, from the up, down, arms in the air everywhere. You've literally worn your shoulders to the bone. It's like you're going to need two operations, but they've got to be like a year apart. This is going to take you a good three, four years to recover from. So I was like... Okay, so I won't be moving to LA then. Okay, let's let's not do that. And, um, you know, my time at Notion was coming to a natural end. The relaunch had happened. The magazine had been out for a couple of years. It was going well. And I thought this is a perfect time for me to change my lifestyle. So I moved from East London. I moved to North London. And being me, I was like, um, luxury apartment, North London, and up pops this insane place. I'm like, how can I afford this? This is amazing. I go have a look around. They're like, did you know this was Harry Styles' flat? And I was like, I'll take it. <laughs> so I thought, right, there's got to be some good energy in this building left over. And they're like, yeah, um, footballer Ashley Cole lived here when he met Cheryl Cole. And then I thought, right, well, this is where I need to live if I'm going to meet my Mr. Right. It's clearly romance is in the air around here. So yeah, moving there just uh, represented a new chapter where I embarked on my shoulder operations, for the recovery, slowing things down, taking on less. It was still more than your average, but for me, it was definitely a pace of life where I could make dating my part-time job <laughs> to find my other half, which I did. I gave up all the dating apps because I was like, this isn't working. It was a disaster. We could do a whole podcast on my dating life I was like this is just not going to work so I, del I deleted the dating apps and a week later I got asked to go on a blind date and um I was like well hey I've never been asked to do that before let's do this and uh nearly four years later that's my Mr. Right wow. so yeah and I'm living it up in a porter cabin and it's interesting because I when when you're talking through those things I, I often talk to people about the split between the things you need need the things that you want yes. and the things you're compromised to get it and and often i find that what people think they need is a longer list than what they really need and it sounds as though even at that stage going from east london to north london you're starting to to reprioritize what what you need really is 100 percent 100%. I mean, I, I make it sound all fun and games and jovial, but there were some really hard, dark times. When I moved to London, I hit the floor running and it was all about success, focus, live the dream, hard and fast. 
Did I have fun? Hell yes. Did I work like a machine? Yes. Growing up, success, ambition, what is your five-year plan? What is your six-year plan? Uh, six-month plan? What's your next stage? What's your next accomplishment? Where are you going? Where are you moving forward? That was like a definition very much. That was very much the language. I have a sister and she, she owns um, a hair business and she, and she was exactly the same. It was like next thing, next thing, next thing. And then you find yourself, you're like, am I an adrenaline junkie? Is this my adrenaline? It's work, success, go, 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 it. And that's all well and good. But when you realize, oh, I haven't actually had a holiday in eight years, which means just stopping for a period of time longer than three days. You know, it wasn't about jetting off somewhere because I was doing that. It was the fact that I hadn't stopped. And when was the last time I'd actually physically seen my family or been at a family event? And how many... um things were were I cutting short or giving the bare minimum, like a friend's wedding. You know, I missed a ceremony because I was with Miley Cyrus at, at Wembley, which is the dream. But at the same time, this is one of my best friend's weddings. That's a dream. That's her dream, our dream, once in a lifetime dream. You know, and, and my priorities were really, I won't say wrong, but I will say different, I would say to the average. And that went hand in hand with uh, financial like work success, but a lifestyle success. No, I definitely had toxic friendships. I was never in a, a healthy, stable, joyful, content partnership. You know, everything was uh, adrenaline or a drama or this or that. Um, I remember I got asked to do a, a Diesel, the clothing brand, one of their campaigns, and one of the filming days fell on the same day as my granddad's funeral. And I rang my mum and I said, I'm sorry, I can't come to the funeral. I've, I've got to work. And, and and everyone in my world was so supportive and they got it. Like that was who I was. And I hung up the phone and it was my housemate who, who didn't really know me. So for them, me having that sentence was just wild. Like you're not going to, my granddad was like my dad. Can I just say, he was like my number one, the big man, you know? And they were like, I know how much, you've spoken about him you're not going to go like I, I'm not going to let you do that and I went I went to the funeral and I, I, I thank you know I, I well up thinking about it I'm like thank god I did but as if I was that person who thought it okay and it's so easy to get in a whirlwind of ambition and adrenaline where your priorities are so out of whack because you don't necessarily even know any difference until hindsight or something happens that just makes you stop the universe will strike you down and make you take stock of these values health home family priorities you know relationships that aren't toxic toxic and hectic um and so yeah having to slow down it was like a very slow realization but the penny definitely didn't drop and i did not have that moment until lockdown struck i was going to say because you know we're here on the podcast, one of the things that, that we're digging into is this idea of this unlock moments, the moment of real, a flash of clarity. And it sounds as though leading up to that, that, you know, there's some things starting to twig, there's some things starting to land, some experiences you're having where you're starting to think, this isn't quite, you know, this is how it's been, but this isn't how I want it to be necessarily in certain sort of key moments. So, so, Bring me into that moment where you had this sort of real clarity, you know, as, as a lockdown hit. You're so right. There were like micro real, realizations happening along the way. Things weren't feeling right or things weren't adding up. Or things weren't panning out. People were leaving my life. And I was like sad at the time. Then I looked back and I went, oh, yeah, but they only ever caused me drama. Like that was always a nightmare. And and, and as things shrink down you start to see the scale of things it's when you've got so much so much texture it's a blur and when things get less and less and less everything gets a bit louder it's ironic you know in the in the silence of, of being a bit alone and I was realizing that the pace of London wasn't 
going to make sense forever. I, I, it's in my ambition to have children. And for me, it, it's just not what I wanted to do living in a very built up city environment. So I always saw in my future, like living somewhere quieter. And I'd been in my relationship for a couple of years. We were so happy. I, I, I'd met, I've been with my partner now for, yeah, about 18 months at this point. And things were simple. You know, you can enter relationships or a career and you get caught up in the adrenaline, the drama of this, that, and oh my God. And then when you actually go into a new job, a new relationship or, or living with someone new and you're like, hold on, this is, this is really easy. This is really simple. This is fulfilling and joyful. I'm not chasing highs and, and subsequently having crashes. This is just nice and easy. And I am calm. And you're like, whoa, okay, this is clearly making sense. So I started dropping the idea of maybe we should live together. And we set the date um, in 2019. It was getting to the end of the year. And I was like, how about end of March, 2020? Great date. I was like, Great date. When is that March? 2020. That feels like a day that my life is going to change. I just was like something my blood said, my world is going to change and I'm going to need to be living in Surrey that day. Of course, it was the day before lockdown. So first day of lockdown, I'm not in London. I'm not in Harry Styles' old flat, for sure. I'm in a lad pad, a one bed lad pad in Surrey. I now I'm getting messages where every single job, every single booking is cancelling. There is nothing in my diary. It's me, the dog, and a chaotic lad pad in Surrey. The boyfriend's off working. And I'm like, wow, for the first time, I feel like in my life, I'm alone with nothing in the foreseeable future to happen to me. This is down to me to figure this out. And before then, how how far ahead would you have your schedule worked out? How how what's what's your runway ahead of, oh, of booking? Eight, like eighteen months. Wow, wow. Yeah. So you've so gone from like, this intense, really intense calendar to nothing. Literally, you know, I first day of lockdown, I thought in a week's time I was flying to Amsterdam, and I'm like, well, that's not happening. You know, Craig David you know, he's in the same situation, my client. And he was like, you know, the, 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 no one is doing live shows, you know, not everyone is just scared and pausing. Um, and how did you was, feel? God, it was really hard because I was so aware of the privileged situation I was in, healthy, safe, in a home with a loved one in a beautiful environment, the privilege was real. <laughs> but you can't but help have moments where you still think your whole world is ending. When you've lived a lifestyle which is so interlinked with your self-expression, your sense of self, your identity, when you don't have those things happening in your world, you don't have those go-tos. It's suddenly like, well, who am I? What what am I made of? What what are the things that are fundamentally important to me? And like I say, you know, I, I am quite spiritual and it. it's like sometimes the universe just goes, Well, you didn't you didn't get the memos, so we're gonna just give you the message all in one, you know, and here you go, hard and fast, you're gonna learn this lesson. And it was really like, I need to stop and take stock to full effect of what really, really matters. And it didn't happen overnight, I tell you. It literally really only, it was a process. It was a good 18-month process because obviously life started creeping back in for people, um, for me, for everyone, but then it's taken away. So everything you felt you had learned and, and then was slowly getting back into, and then it stopped again, and then you're panicked and, and you're thinking, God, is, is this ever, are we ever going to go back to normal? You know, and we've talked about this new normal and what life could be and conspiracy theories and the internet and all these crazy wild imaginings of this dystopian world we're about to live in. And you're in limbo 
not having, for the first time in my life, a six-month, three-year plan was, well, it, I, I didn't know how to not have that. And what did you learn about yourself in that time where you didn't have all of these things that were just going on, carrying you on that wave, and suddenly you're sitting kind of in a conversation with yourself for the first time in years and years and years and, and having that sort of time and space. For some some people I, I've talked to, that was a very enlightening time and a very positive time because they had the opportunity to stop and think. And for other people, it was quite terrifying precisely because th they had to face into stuff that they hadn't faced into before and all of that. The lockdown for me was definitely a lot of polar opposites of realising my privilege and how I, I I wasn't ill and I hadn't have had any loved ones being ill or passed away and I was safe. But at the same time, the things that I had defined myself by were all gone. And it was definitely, I couldn't look forward. Like I had always done my whole life was future plans, where I was going, my career. And for the first time, I actually stopped and looked backwards and tried to start to make sense of where I felt like things had gone wrong. Um, I'd been on television, I've been on radio, I've flown around, but I'd still not necessarily been in the most functioning relationships. I had not been in good health. I'd had home lives that were really turbulent, like things work and superficial lifestyle were really successful and then internally it was just chaotic and for the first time I was in so much peace and calm externally and then this contradiction internally of wanting to get everything back wanting to jet off to Ibiza and and, and play in drag queen clubs but then at the same time being like oh hold on hold on hold on if I want to embark on that again I think I need to find a new way to approach this. I think I need a foundation that I didn't have before. I realized that what I had been building before was only from the ground up. It was success, work, ambition, external image. And I really had never built anything from the ground down. Is this because I was dating a builder? Maybe I began thinking about it like this. Who knows? But probably now I'm realizing sat in a porter cabin, like, oh yeah, now I understand foundations. But, you know, it's true. If you need to be having a career success, I realize that you have to have the emotional, family, health, stability, foundation, successful first. First and foremost, if you don't have a home life that you feel safe and balanced and has order and structure, you you cannot build up on that. You can, but it's like a, a house of cards. It will fall down. And that's definitely how I look back on my past successes in period of time. I have built a house of cards. And I think when you were describing that time leading into the pandemic, you would it sounds as though you're describing a few of those cards starting to fall over a bit. You know, your health was, you know, n not the best and, and you're just conscious of the number of years that be doing that 24-7 lifestyle and so on. So I'm not sure you'd you'd hit the buffers, but, but you know, you were starting to be mindful of that when you were talking about those the little triggers that you were noticing. Definitely. It was like I was a Jenga tower and the universe was like slowly sliding out blocks being like, we don't think this is the right structure for you. We're going to start revealing pieces that really are not working and and started to be removed, you know. Um, and then, yeah, eventually it sort of physically collapsed and then emotionally it collapsed. It's, it's to be forced to stop working when that is who you are and what you do. Um, is yeah it messes with your head yeah for sure it's, i mean I, I know that you've you've got a copy of, of the idea mindset book and in the book I yes guess, i have yeah and in the book I, I i pick up on a you know widely used framework which is around the emotional journey of change um and this idea that sometimes to get to a more positive place 
in the medium term or the longer term, it's almost inevitable that you'll probably go through a dip first because, you know, as, as you're describing, that's the first experience of lockdown for you in, in terms of the, you know, the impact on your, your business and your life was 18 months of, of, of clarity and, and, and bookings ahead of knowing what you were going to do and all the things that you built up all those years disappeared and you've just got this void to sort of drop into. So, you know, did you, did you feel yourself going through a, a, a dip in, in that, you know, an emotional dip in, in the earlier stages of the pandemic? Oh my God, were there tears? Yes. Were there tantrums? Yes. It was like um, a battle. You, you, you have those moments, you have that realisation. And in one day you're like, yes, I've got this clarity, I realise. And then the next day you wake up and maybe your ego's coming into play and you're like, no, but, you know, damn you, I, I was this, I'm going to be this and I don't need this. And and you, it's like a battle within you of like these two identities. And it's like, am I the horse? Or am I the horse rider? Which one am I? I don't know. And and you realize you're kind of both. You really are. You're just one unit. You 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 have this like everyone has a sense of ego which drives you forward and, and really values the external. And then you have that may, maybe be it your soul or your sense of identity, which is the internal fundamental knowing. I fundamentally knew it was going to be okay and everything was fine and I was blessed and it would be good. But the fear and the externals and, uh, yeah, it it was really, I mean, God bless my partner. He was so um, calm throughout it and just a great listener and, a, and very, um, what I needed, like, what can we do? What do we need to do? What can we take control of? What problems can we fix? Because that's how I roll. I'm a, I'm a problem fixer. And when and the problems that you say your ego is looking at are global, it's very hard to then be like realizing that there are smaller variations and controllables in your day to day, which can stabilize you. And that's where I started to be like, right, well, I need a new routine. I need new goals. I need to shrink everything down. And I began to just try and live everything week to week, my my life. I still, I, I don't believe that we can necessarily fundamentally change who we have, are born to be or have been groomed to be through our programming and parenting or life experience but you can shift or reapply that mentality. So for me, being someone who is goal-based and structure-based, if I could shrink that down to instead of 18 months, one week, I could get control over something which was happening to everyone in the world, which was so hard to feel, you to not feel like a victim and sometimes, to be frank, feel sorry for yourself, which was never something I really had experienced. And I was like, what is this coming out of me? You know, um, why do I feel sorry for myself? I have zero reason. You know, I remember having these conversations with my friends where I felt so guilty for the emotions I was feeling. And they were like, yeah, but you're human. You know, like we all have to feel these things, but we just got to get it in some kind of contextualization and, and format that you recognize and, and, and you can program. So, yeah, living life a week to week definitely gave me an ability to sort of get control I think anxiety from my experience will you know rear its ugly head when you feel out of control when you feel threatened by a situation where you don't know an answer or you don't know the values or the the quantity of a situation and you feel overwhelmed and consumed and there were times I felt so anxious I thought no I'm not having this I'm not letting anxiety take over me I am that is one thing I was like nah I'll, pardon my French, I'll make anxiety my bitch. This is, no, I'm not, you know, I'm not making that happen. So I definitely turn to audible books and self-development and really going inside because I couldn't really do tons externally. Everybody was doing, you know, like, oh, do online and do DJ sets and da-da-da. And I, I'm just not that person, to be honest. I'm an in-real-world energy I need people you know people are my batteries and so yes I could I could do it and I, and I love insta stories and stuff it it didn't give me the fuel I really needed so I thought you know what Alexis just go inside and just start from scratch 
there's something very powerful about the way you tell the story of before the pandemic and then during the pandemic in terms of your your conversation with self because you're describing you know from a young age being this very confident outgoing bold kid you know and then and then coming through that whole that whole personality landing very very soundly in 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 the world that you've worked in but at some point sort of not listening to yourself not listening to your body and all of that you know that starts to sort of fall over your house of cards and then you know as you've gone through the emotional journey of change actually in the in the pandemic it's being you know you you still got that boldness and positivity about the future and you know you're you're going to come through and you're going to achieve your your goals but you're much more mindful of the journey you're going through you're giving yourself more time you're listening to your emotions and being able to name them um and i you know I, i work with a lot of people who struggle with the idea that they're feeling guilt or they're feeling bitterness or they're feeling anger when actually it's just what you feel when you're going through that kind of journey and it's normal and if you push against it and refuse to believe that it's there then all you're doing is you're pushing yourself back into that world of pretending that it's not happening and i know you know a lot of people tune into susan david's work on emotional agility and brenny brown's work where you know where you're really starting to become much more cognizant of the emotions that you that you experience and and i love how you talk about the building of foundations. So, you know, when you reflect now and you think, you know, what foundations do you feel you've built that you didn't have on the 22nd of March 2020? <laughs> yeah, I think wow, that's a good question. Like what what has created understanding the difference between happy um pleasure, being happy and pleasure versus joy and fulfillment i feel i live a fulfilled joyful existence which comes has to come from within happy is you know it's a classic line for anyone who is into self development happiness is internal it's not external and if you give your power to the external you're screwed because you're giving away the ability of your own feelings to external sources and i'm a part i like to be on top i like to be large and in charge and i realized wow i'm not even going to let a global pandemic kind of stop me being in charge of my emotions it did a really good job it really came for me and it was a journey and a battle but i've got to a position where i'm like look i need to be as happy recording in a porter cabin as i am in a central london flashy hotel there's no difference between my little starbucks on delivery or a glass of champagne and i think it's also realizing you know everyone has ego everyone is superficial to some degree like okay what little joys then will help a situation you know so as soon as i got to the porter cabin i was like babe we've got to get a starbucks in starbucks and because that's like my little like grounding like my little thing and you know and i, re- I recognize that and i'm okay with that you know um i'm also okay with the fact that if there's nowhere i can get an iced latte the world is not going to end prior to prior in the old days if i can get a chai tea latte in the morning oh my god nightmare what a diva um, but now it's like you know no uh, so it's okay to have a bit of ego it's okay to have superficial materialistic things you need but you need to have a coping mechanism for when you can't have those you can't just crumble it's not how the world works well we don't even know how the world works so all we can do is really just take charge of our internals in this crazy world we're in these days and and i think that's a really important message this idea that one of the things that shifted is the level of certainty that we have about the future. So, mm. you know, even as we come out of the pandemic, what what does the music world look like? You know, for the for the future, we don't really know, you know, it it's it whereas pre-pandemic, you could kind of predict it to some extent a year, two years, three years in advance, you know, you're going to get the sort of continuous development and growth whatever, but but suddenly and this is the same in so many industries, there are these really sort of 90 degree shifts in how things are happening and some things will never be the same again and we don't yet know 
quite what they're going to be. So, so as you say, you know, learning to cope in a world of uncertainty, I think, is a really powerful thing and, and something that a lot of people are not very used to doing because because of the routine that they've that they've lived before. Um, it's 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 really interesting to to hear that journey. And, and something I wanted to ask specifically was, I know I talked to a lot of people where they feel as though grounding and founding finding foundations and moving from the city into the country and so on feels like slowing down and paring back on your level of ambition. Do you feel mm. that this sort of mindset shift that you've been through in the pandemic has has reflects a reduction in your ambition or not? I was so scared of feeling less ambitious not being in it, not being in London, being somewhere with a pace that's slower. So I actually thought, you know what, I need to, again, take control of this thought process and test it. So I rented a little bedroom off my sister who lives in East London uh, for two months. And I, I and sh- it was available. She let me have it for a, la- a sister rate. Thank you, Katie North. Shout out to you. And um, I was like, right, I have a bedroom in um, East London, which I can stay in, I live in. I went and bought everything and kitted out. It was gorgeous. It was there for two months. Didn't stay in it once. Didn't even make the bed. I bought all the linen. I didn't even put it on the duvet. I did not stay there once because every time that there was the option to go back to that bedroom in East London by myself, which effectively was my life before I moved in with my partner in Surrey, or go back to what was my new home, with my partner and my dog, which was somewhere really beautiful, I would always make that extra little trek to go somewhere where I felt safe and comfortable and where I'd open the front door and there'd be at least, you know, a little hairy four-legged creature welcoming me, you know? And, and sometimes in life, we get into a position because our subconscious decisions have taken us there and we don't even realise. Like, I... Me moving to London and moving to the centre of Shoreditch and living in a house with eight boys, I thought that was just the way life kind of made it happen for me. But they were all decisions I was making without realising it. I was putting myself in these positions because of what I wanted and liked. So being somewhere where I didn't necessarily have that people and that texture, um, I, I didn't even know... I didn't even know that was something I needed and wanted. I I didn't realize that people were so important to me on a daily basis. Going from having assistants, I was working from home, but I was having assistants coming in and out and housemates and noise and color and texture to waking up in the morning, being alone, going to my desk in the house and just sort of trying to Zoom or just work alone. I was getting really depressed and I, I didn't understand why. And I thought the problem was just being not in London, I realized the problem was I wasn't with people. So now I'm curating a world where from from the second I leave the house, I've got people and texture and hi, how you doing? All those things I took for granted that I didn't know I need because I'd kind of accidentally created a world where I took them for granted. And then when it's sort of taken away and you really have to recreate it, you think, oh God, I really value I really value so many things I took for granted. And you don't think you take things for granted. You really don't. You think, yeah, I'm really grateful for my life. Yeah, you be grateful and practice gratefulness. But <laughs> it's still like to fundly, oh, my God, with your whole heart, appreciate and value something is very, very, very different. And often you have to have lost it. If you were to pick just one word to describe something that you have now, that you didn't have before, what word would you pick? Security. Yeah, security in the knowledge that internally I have all the tools I need to take on anything or anyone. And if I don't have it, there's so many resources out there to find it, be it other people like yourself to talk to or get guidance from the internet, friends, we actually all have everything we really need at our fingertips. We're in the most privileged privileged point in history. There's so much to slag off about the world today, but really anything you want to be or do, there's really no reason why you can't. We are given everything in a little little palm pad to take on the world or even just take on any 
situation we find ourselves in. I, I love it. And I, I love how you're able to take all that experience over the last couple of years and put it together in really a, quite a deep self-reflection on the journey you've, you've been through. So, you know, we sit in the first half of 2022 and you're, you're looking to the year coming up. What are the things that are, that are coming up for you? What are, you, what are your plans as, as we gradually emerge from, from this pandemic? Very excitedly, I just had a single out. Uh, it's called Think About It. It's with a singer called Mila Four. She's amazing. I've just dropped a remix for it. Uh, it's the first time I've done a remix of one of my singles, and it's really like dirty and hard, and it's ready to rave. Like the last two singles, um, first single I ever put out, lockdown happened two weeks later. Second single, I was like, well, I better get a single out. We could be in lockdown forever, even though I didn't want to. So I was in a lockdown. So this third single, finally, we went in a lockdown. Um, so I was like, do you know what? I'm going to do a remix of this. The single's very dance, pop, fun, upbeat. Um, but I'm going to do something really dirty people can rave to because now we can. So, yeah, I've done a VIP remix of my single, Think About It. I've got another single in the pipelines out in a couple of months. Um, I was in the studio yesterday working on another demo. So it's really releasing music, live gigs. I've just been booked for Ibiza. I've just come back from Amsterdam. Um yeah, and then sharing it all on my socials. Amazing. And um, it, it would be, I'm, I'm sure my listeners wouldn't thank me for having Craig Davis, Bruno Mars and Miley Cyrus, his stylist on the show, and not getting some good style tips from you. So coming out of the... <laughs> I, won't be, I won't be invoicing your listeners, don't worry. Excellent. You excellent. can have this one for free. <laughs> thank you. So coming out of the pandemic, people are cautiously obviously emerging back into the world and with the cost of living crisis people don't have the spare cash to go buy a whole new wardrobe so what's a top tip for people to style themselves on a budget as they come out back into the world a top tip to style yourself on a budget uh, post lockdown is be resourceful often what i find is when i go to a client and we go through their wardrobe they have more than enough but the reason they think they don't have anything is because there's a lot of crap in there that they don't like. So you can't see the killer for the filler. That's what I say. So I'm like, right, I want you to go to your wardrobe and instinctly, without thinking, take out 10 items that if your house was on fire and to get out alive, you could only take your top 10 favorite items, grab 10 outfits. And you could do that so quickly. And I'm like, grab another 10. And that, then when you get to the point where you're suddenly stopping and thinking about it, all these different emotions start coming into play. It's like the relationship people have with money. We have it with our clothes. Oh, no, but that was £200 when I bought it. Suddenly it's got this value. But hold on. OK, so you spent a bit of money on it. When was the last time you wore it? Two years ago. Do you really like it? No, but it's worth £200. Look, the value of something when it was purchased then doesn't equate to the value of it to you now like value and money it's it, it forget about it with clothes it's a it's really just a tool to keep you warm and express yourself have a bit of fun with so unless you love it or you use it it's out so before you do any purchasing you've got to do an edit of your wardrobe and only then will you see the gaps of what's really missing Alexis, that is that is amazing. I'm going to go through my sock drawer straight away now with 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 that in mind. So, um, and where can people find out more about you? I am on Instagram at Alexis Knox. I am sharing lols on my TikTok at it's Alexis Knox. Someone took Alexis Knox, didn't get there fast enough. I think some twelve year old in America beat me. But yeah, so Alexis Knox on Instagram and it's Alexis Knox on TikTok. They're your, probably your best resources. Fantastic. Thank you so much. And we'll put those links in, in show notes as well so people can follow up. Oh, and don't forget to hit up my Spotify for my music as well. Absolutely. If you fancy boogie. Yeah, Thanks. Alexis Knox on there. Thank <laughs> you so much. The unlock moment is that flash of remarkable clarity when you suddenly know the right path ahead. For Alexis, after a non-stop life of fashion, music and glamour that was taking a significant personal toll, suddenly the global pandemic emptied her diary of styling work and red carpet events and saw her moving out of the heart of the bustling city into a little corner of rural Surrey. That shift reframed her priorities and as we emerge from the pandemic has allowed her to develop a new perspective on what's really important to her as she shapes the next exciting chapter in her life's journey. Alexis brings this source of relentless positivity to everything she does, and I'm very excited to see where her journey takes her next. Alexis, thank you so much 
for joining me on the Unlock Moment. Thank you for having me. I've loved it. This has been the Unlock Moment, a podcast with me, Dr. Gary Crotas. Thank you for listening in. You can find out more about how to figure out what you want and how to get it in my book, The Idea Mindset, available in physical book, ebook, and audiobook formats. Follow me on Instagram and subscribe to this podcast to get notified about future episodes. Join me again soon.